the more seeds I sow and feed more people, the more harmony I generate. And that is going to somehow or other benefit me. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Thanks for joining us. Our guest on this episode is Carolyn Mace, an author of many books, former host of the TV series The Journey with Carolyn Mace on the Oxygen Network, and guest on Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul Sunday. Today, Carolyn and Eric discuss her book, Intimate Conversations with the Divine, Prayer, Guidance, and Grace. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Eric. Thank you. Nice to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you on. We're going to discuss your latest book, Intimate Conversations with the Divine, Prayer, Guidance, and Grace. But before we do that, let's start like we always do with the parable. And in the parable, there is a grandmother who's talking with her grandson. She says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops and he thinks about it for a second. He looks up at his grandmother and he says, well, grandmother, which one wins? And the grandmother says, the one you feed. So I'd like to start off by asking you what that parable means to you in your life and in the work that you do. Well, I wrote a prayer about that, oddly enough. I know you did. That parable means a great deal to me. First of all, because the wolf is such a powerful animal, both symbolically and physically. And I think the instinct to give in to the need to attack is so powerful. And I think those are our primal instincts. And it takes so much 
to make the decision to align yourselves with the higher instincts of the soul, the higher graces, to realize that to attack is to give in to your fears. And those decisions are only destructive. The parable, that wisdom is eternal. It's brilliant. Yeah. That's why I love that. I love that parable. Thank you. Yeah. And I was definitely struck by in the book as I read that part about the wolf in it, you know, talking about two wolves in a dark cave. Uh Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think there's anybody who can't relate to that. I think every single person knows what it is to feel as though they've been abandoned in a dark cave by something in life that's happened to them. And it's a terrifying feeling. It's terrifying to feel powerless, that something has rendered you in a powerless situation. And I think that is among the most frightening feelings that you can confront in life by far. Yeah. It really is. So your book is all about, as the title suggests, intimate conversations with the divine. And they're really your prayers Mm -hmm. to God. And I was struck by just how you brought every part of you to God, every concern, every worry, every doubt, every fear. Say a little bit more about that. Well, my own spiritual journey has taken me well beyond the idea of an off-planet God that exists someplace in the clouds into this deep and profound understanding that the nature of God is experiential and is very present. And that for me, for me, I feel that I live in the atmosphere of all that is created, that everything is God. And I don't mean that in a like physical sense, you pick up a cup and say, is this God? This is a mystical principle, that all that is creation is an expression of the divine, that the divine cannot exist outside creation. So this is a very rich mystical precept. And that the nature of God is law, that all things operate within the laws of nature. And as I started to deeply understand that, I realized that this relationship that I was developing with the divine became very conversant, that it was ever present within me and around me. And it became very intimate. It became, the word I would use is intimate. And that I began to understand the power of prayer, that prayer was not this magical thing, you know, make things go, get better. I understood that the nature of God within our lives is organic, that the divine works within us, through us, through the laws of nature, through our power, within the power of life, through the power of our attitudes as they change, their creative force changes within the forces around us. So that when we pray, give me the courage to do something, the thoughts within us that need to change are changed. The inspiration that we need to have to change our fears is how heaven works with us. The nature of God is so profoundly, beautifully organic and ever-present. 
And it just made sense to me. One of the things that I was really struck by was similar to this, as you say in the book at one point, when we pray, we ask the divine to show us how to see. And I thought that was such a powerful idea that one of the main purposes of prayer is to, instead of our sort of senses, let's align the divine with my view of the world. But it's really a different one of like, maybe I can see with a different set of eyes. Precisely. I mean, when you really get that this world was here long before we were, and it will be here long after we're gone. We are little visitors here. The name of the game is for us to get the rules of life here. And that our job is to learn the rules, not to have life serve us, but for us to serve life. That is the name of the game here. And that the way of prayer is tell me what you want me to do while I'm here that I am in service to this, it is not in service to me. And that if you live with this attitude that everything here is about serving me because I'm so special, you are going to suffer. (laughs) Absolutely. Listeners have heard me say this before, but it's a phrase that I've heard often from yoga teachers, and I'm not picking on yoga teachers. And I know what they mean by it, but it always grates on me a little when I hear it, which is let go of everything that doesn't serve you. I understand what we're saying here. Like, don't carry around baggage that's no good for you. I get it. But it points to this idea that everything is here to serve me versus the other way around, which I do a lot better in life when I orient myself towards what am I serving versus how well are things going for me. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? When you really, really get that life is very brief, It's very brief that every day is really a gift. And that in the words of Thomas Merton, this day will never come again. I will never see this sunrise again, and I will never see the sunset again. And I will never see the faces of people I love to look exactly like this again. And when you become appreciative of this type of truth, that I will never have an opportunity to say a kind word to you again. And that's a big deal. When I start to put my life into those gifts, that I have an opportunity to say a kind word to you, and I'm not going to blow that, that that's a big deal, that that's what a really big deal is. One of the things that you mentioned early on in the book is you talk about that we're living in a transition, right? We are letting go a lot of the mythologies of the past. We're evolving into a new myth, but that even though our cultural myths are changing or outdated, our yearning to be connected to the divine doesn't go away. Never. So what do you think is important for us to individually be looking at as we deal with the fact that the existing myths that sustained human society for a long time are falling away. How do we find our way into a new relationship with the powers that be, so to speak? Well, in a sense, we're witnessing how we're doing that. And we're traveling in this collective transformation from the breakdown of the Abrahamic mythologies, for example. But we haven't yet identified what it is we will collectively believe. And let me say that it's worth appreciating where we are right now because it's so awesome 
And I mean awesome in terms of to be filled with awe, that in this moment, we are for the first time in the history of civilization that I know of, and I'm a pretty avid student of history, we are entering the galactic community, Eric. We're entering galactic mythology time, okay? And that alone is rendering our scriptural mythologies outdated, okay? But simultaneously, our mythologies that have held us together for centuries are also outdated because they're biologically threatening, meaning that the teaching of separatism, each of the Abrahamic religions, for example, believe themselves to be the chosen people. This is not just in Judaism, but Christianity and Islam, they all have this kind of current in them. And the idea of being the chosen people and that in order to believe in this, they have to be aggressive toward that person. This tribalism that has become characteristic of religions. If I put a different hat on and go into my work for decades in health and healing, here we are also in this age of consciousness in which holism has become a creed, in which we are recognizing that the template of body, mind, spirit of becoming whole is a fundamental creed in health and healing. How can you have holism as an organic health creed and have in your spiritual theological template this idea of separatism as your theological creed? You have got to find a spirituality, a spiritual truth that aligns to your bio-spiritual theology that in fact all is one. We are now ascending to mystical truths, where in fact we have to get that this is a bio-spiritual ecological era, where we recognize in fact that the nature of God is law, that religion is a political arm of God, but that we're finally transcending and going into the truth that the mystical level of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddha, Hinduism, were all laws. And they were all the mystical laws from Pythagoras through Plato, through Judaism, through the Kabbalah, through what Jesus taught, the Sufi tradition. They are all just the laws of the universe. And if I were to sit and teach you the cosmic laws and say, which tradition do you think this came from? You would be hard pressed to say, well, I think it's but it could be Buddhism, but it could be this, because they all taught the same. And this is what this great transformation is about, the shedding of separatism and the emergence of holism in which we get that the cosmic design and the nature of God is this organic truth that all life breathes together. We are all one. And this is a bio-spiritual living theology that is in our blood and bones and in each other. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to say it. And that that idea that 
we wouldn't be able to identify the tradition. Aldous Huxley called it the perennial wisdom, right? It's this idea that there's these ideas that show up in all these traditions that are consistent to all these different traditions. I want to touch a little bit more on this idea You say at one point that we're built for belief. Belief shapes the way we see divine power and our role within it. This is the first time in the history of humanity when the majority of people do not know what they believe in. It's a phenomenon that's never existed before. So most of us don't realize the psychic trauma it puts us through. And I think that is certainly part of what we are seeing. I mean, and I think if we look at this, There's some real benefit to shaking off these myths of separatism. My religion's the right way. You're the right kind of person. You're the saved kind of person. But we are in a transition where I think a lot of people are stuck in the middle. And and I do think that point that you say of, you know, we don't realize the psychic trauma that it's having to a lot of people, you know, the age of meaninglessness. And it runs deeper than people realize, Eric. It runs into not just what you believe, but what you have faith in. This is where people run into real crises because for years, this runs so deep and it runs into territory that people find uncomfortable talking about to wit. When I ask people, so what do you have faith in? It's easier for people to tell me with great conviction what they do not have faith in, what they do not have faith in. But they cannot tell me what they do have faith in. And I wondered for the longest time, now, why is that? Why is that? And as I really investigated this, I saw some real common patterns. One is when you lack the capacity to have faith, to really struggle with faith, it spills over and it that it's a whole mechanism. It's not about not having faith in God. It is a mechanism in you in which your capacity to have faith in yourself is rusty. And therefore, if you don't have faith in yourself, having faith in another person is virtually impossible because you know that If you can't even keep your word to yourself, if you say something to yourself like, well, I'll I'll just start exercising tomorrow. I'll do that. I'll just, you know, I'll quit drinking tomorrow. And you know right away you don't mean it. If someone says to you, Eric, I have to confide in you, would you keep this to yourself? Could I confide in you? Do you have room in your heart so that I could put something in your heart that I can't hold in mine anymore? Would you carry it for me? And you say, yeah, and will you keep it confidential? And all the while you're thinking, oh, where do I tell this person? So you don't even trust yourself enough to be able to give your word to someone, to know that your word is integrous, that your faith and trust in yourself is that fragile, that while someone is asking you to keep your word, you're already breaking your word. And that these endless little acts of betrayal that people no longer even recognize as active lies and betrayal. They don't even recognize it. And it's all these little threads that break away, chip away at integrity, at faith, at trust. And here's the deeper thing, Eric. Not only does it make a person lose respect for themselves if they ever had it. That's why they think that the job of respect should come from others because they have none for themselves. Okay, but they also find 
it impossible to trust others because they know they're not trustworthy. So then how is it that if they can't even trust themselves, a body that they can physically touch, much less someone sitting across from them, how do you think they could possibly trust this invisible thing called God or the divine or whatever they want to call it? That this grace called faith, this grace called trust, which is so essential to our well-being, so essential to our managing life without depression, without anxiety, without suicide, so essential to our getting by, so essential to our having faith that I will find a way, I'll get through this, without faith or trust. How could they possibly, when they don't even trust themselves, possibly believe that there is a grace that comes from a place they can't trust at all? Do you see how the crisis comes? And here I will add to this. I'm going to add something. You got to think about it and then you get it. That more people have faith in darkness, in the dark, than in the light. And they've grown accustomed to trusting darkness. They've grown accustomed to feeling safe in darkness and not in the light. They fear the truth, but they're okay with the dark. And that's something people have to deal with when it comes to healing. No one in any of my workshops that I have done for years and years and years, and we've just met, so you don't know me and you don't know my history or how many things I've done or taught, but I assure you, I've taught a lot of places. And nobody, Eric, in all my life has ever come to a workshop of mine and said, I'm here because I'm in a spiritual crisis. I'm here because my conscience, conscience is heavy. They'll say, I'm here because of consciousness. What the hell? But conscience is the thing they should be there for. Because I can't deal with the, the choices I make because I know I should have done this, but I did this. It's quite astonishing to me. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What you bring up is a really interesting point, and it makes me think about a bunch of things. That point about, you know, exercise, I see that, I mean, I, I'm a behavior coach, so I work with people all the time. And I often say that the fact that you're exercising or not exercising every day is, is important, sure, for your health. The bigger consequence is that we stop believing in our ability to change. Like you said, I start to say, well, I'm going to do this, but I don't even believe myself anymore, you know? Repairing that is a really interesting and tricky thing. And it also made me think a little bit about coming to recovery. You don't know me either. I'm a recovering alcoholic, drug addict. And, you know, I came into recovery with certainly no faith in myself. How old are you? I'm 50. I originally came into recovery at 24. So long time ago. You see this happen, though. You see people come in, and I got sober in 12-step recovery, and 12-step recovery is very much the belief is that there's a power greater than yourself that will get you sober. And there is a temporary suspension of, I believe in a power greater than me over my own faith, you know? But I also think that in a healthy recovery, our own faith comes along and we start to trust in ourselves. It's sort of both those things have to happen. We have to do both. We have to develop our faith in life, I think. Again, use the term you want to use for that, God, life, whatever. And we have to develop our faith in ourselves. They both have to come along. Yes. That's how you do it. Yes. I am hugging you. Can you feel me hugging? I can. (laughs) Thank you. So I want to talk a little bit about prayer, because that's a big part of this book. And you've got a line, before we go too much further into this, that I really love. Because a lot of the book, you're, you're wrestling with the things that all of us who are trying to create some deeper connection wrestle with, which is like, yikes, there's an awful lot of terrible things that happen out here in the world. Goodness gracious, what do I do with that? I have faith, but now I'm terrified. I believe. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts believe in a higher purpose, and yet I see it lacking everywhere. And one of the things that you say, and I think this is really good, is that there are no logical answers when it comes to mystical matters. None at all. That is, you know, again and again in my prayers, I have said, I'm going to talk to you because I need to talk to you. You don't need to talk to me. Right. But I need to talk to you. And it calms me down to talk to you. And maybe that's what grace feels like. Because I don't get calmed down when I talk to a lot of human beings. But when I talk to you, I get calmed down because I need to recognize again and again the higher truth that there is no logic to mystical matters. 
And there is no justice in the immediate world the way I want to see it. And I will never get the answers I want. And at least when I scream at you, and I scream at you all the time, I feel better. And you don't scream back. But what I do get back is a sense of calm that it's okay to scream at you. And that somehow or other, I get that it is human foolishness, fear, darkness that creates all this. It's not you. And every time I hear people say, if there's a God, this wouldn't happen. No, if we had a God in us and we got how God worked, this wouldn't happen. This is us. This is our handiwork. Yeah, there's a story I love. It goes like this. It says, Past the seekers he prayed came the crippled and the beggar and the beaten. And seeing them, he cried, Great God, how is it that a loving creator can see such things and yet do nothing about them? And God said, I did do something. I made you. Mm-hmm. I've just always loved that idea because it sort of turns that like, well, why is there bad things in the universe? It turns it back to... Yeah, there's bad things in the universe, but there's also the capacity to respond with compassion. And that that's on us. Mm-hmm. That's on us. If we weren't so afraid to empower other people, if we weren't so afraid to share. I walked down the street, and this is one of the things I tried to point out when I wrote Invisible Acts of Power. Believe me, I'm not saying that to push a book. But this is what inspired me to do this, Eric. I knew, I got this feeling that we are wired We're designed to sense the vulnerability in other people. Our lower intuitive wiring is all about our gut instinct to protect ourselves. Our gut instinct, like, should I eat this? Should I walk down the street? But our higher wiring, our higher wiring is all about the other. How can I care for you? How can I care for you? What is it you need? And these two are often in collision because if we don't work on the management of our heart, we will resent our own higher wiring. We'll resent it. And we will try and turn it down, turn it off. We'll try to repress it. And I see this in small and large ways. When someone walks down the street and they see a homeless person and homelessness is my devotion. And they'll look the other way when they see a homeless person because they sense that person and they sense the vulnerability in that person, but they don't want to. So they look the other way because they can feel it. They can feel that human being. And then they'll say things like, why don't they get a job? I have heard them say, I have a little more money than I, do you think that person has more money than you? Are you out of your mind? They don't want to feel that person. That's how attuned we are to each other, Eric. That's how attuned we are. Our upper level is about our mutual survival, and our lower level is about our personal.
you reference one of your main teachers, Teresa of Avila, but you talk about something that I really like that she mentions, and she mentions that we have a reptile that dwells, referred to as the gut-dwelling reptile, which will fight to keep us in our smallest attitude, reducing us to superstitious ways of thinking, but also really focusing only on our own survival, that frightened part of us. Well, well, Teresa says that all our negativities and all our fears, she calls them all reptiles. And she says reptiles get in, and when a reptile gets in, it sees better at night than you do, which is why reptiles haunt you at night. (laughs) They win through the darkness. They win in the night battle. They keep you up at night. They become iguanas. You know, they become kimono dragons instead of little geckos. And it's like a Buddha. Buddha says, these things are illusions. You have to become strong enough to recognize, I'm not letting that thought form in me. Someone says, you know, you better, you better, you better do this or else you better invest in this or you're going to lose all your money. You better not stay, go near that person. What will people say if they see you hanging out with that person? All of that is nothing but reptiles. And the strength of soul that you have to have to keep those kinds of reptilian thoughts at a distance so that you can manage your own consciousness and conscience with power and not become contaminated by lesser reptilian thoughts. That's where prayer comes in. That's where you have to pray and say, keep me in a field of grace. Keep that away from me. That is darkness. That is evil. Just blast me with grace. And sometimes I have been with people when they've started to talk and they slip into this negative garbage And I've stayed right in front of them. And I said, would you excuse me for a moment? I don't go anywhere except inside of myself. And in... Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I immediately go into a prayer and I'll say, download me with some badass grace right now, God, because really, I need to be in a field of grace right now. Just get me some grace, and then I re-engage in the conversation. And what does that grace help you do? What it does is it keeps me centered. It keeps me centered because it keeps me from being a smarty pants. It keeps me from smarting off. It keeps me centered, keeps me in my sense of humor, which is my greatest asset. It keeps me where I belong. It keeps me on the right side of grace instead of the wrong side of the fence. Mm -hmm. It keeps me in the impersonal archetypal realm. It keeps me where I belong. 
Because I think what we realize is in a lot of these cases that it is fear. You know, people are afraid. You know, people are often very afraid. And that's, that's part of the desire for survival comes from, from fear. I think we think it's okay to dismiss somebody's actions because of fear. As if, well, you know, people are, no, it's not, Eric. No, it's not. What took place at our Capitol? You could say, well, that's fear. Fear of what? White supremacy? That was okay because they were afraid that people of color might begin to have a decent life. Are you kidding me? There's nothing okay about that, fear or not. So there are some times when you say your fear is not an excuse for what you did. You knew better. So now we're going to get to the place where you have to own what you did. I'm not letting you off the hook. You're not five years old. Fear is what I let a five-year-old off the hook for. But you're a 40, 50-year-old human being. And I'm sorry. You have to now say, I'm using my fear as a way of becoming violent when I don't get what I want. Right. So what's the role that you see for forgiveness with that sort of stuff? The thing at the Capitol or anything else, what's the role, what does your prayer life talk to you about? Where does forgiveness come in? I think forgiveness is the first truly mystical thing we do for ourselves because it's not rational. It's not rational. It's not reasonable. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is not a rational, reasonable thing to do. Everything in us says, wait a minute here. You know, wait a minute here. So forgiveness is, I will certainly deal with all of the rage, and I will not rage against you. But there is justice. Mm -hmm. And that also has to be dealt with. But I will not bring my rage to increase so that justice becomes injustice. Yeah. I will bring understanding and justice together. And that's the wisdom of Solomon. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that you almost have to look at, even in your own life, in the things that happen to all of us, whether things are theft or divorce or whatever things happen in our lives, whatever things happen, Healing, I have learned, requires the stage of witness. We have to have a witness, the stage of the holy witness, where if something happened to you, Eric, you would require that someone witness it, that someone sit and listen to you, tell your story, tell what happened, because what happened to you was so hurtful, so harmful. You need someone to hear that. Not because you want vengeance, but because for you, it was so, where did this come from? How could this happen? You have to say that out loud. You have to have someone, not because you want that person to say, oh my God, but because you want someone's heart to receive that and just listen and bear witness to that, to bear witness. The second stage is that because we do live in a society of civil laws, if there are civil laws that need to be dealt with, they need to be dealt with. And the third stage is what needs to be forgiven. 
is a higher question that you need to deal with spiritually. You must also forgive what needs for your own sake. And that requires you realizing this was at a soul level, not personal. I'm not sure. If you say to God, why did this happen to me? You're going down the wrong avenue. You're saying to God, this happened to me. I don't want to carry this story in me for all eternity. So I have to let this go. And it is huge. But I have to let this go because if I don't, I will relive it with every human being I meet. I will retell it and I will punish people. And I will try and take this rage and hurt and give it back to them to say, see how hurt I am. This is why I will forgive because I want that taken. I'll keep the story. I'll keep the story, but I don't want the fire. And forgiveness is releasing the fire. I do not want this experience to turn me into that person. And forgiving is letting go of the rage in me and for that person. But I'll keep the story if you don't mind. (laughs) It's always good to keep the story. And we're nearing the end of our time here. But one of the things that shows up over and over, and you referenced it in something you said in the last couple minutes, which I think shows up in a bunch of parts of this book, which is this idea that this stuff isn't personal, that we are very focused on our personal agenda, what we want out of the world, but that's not what spirituality and mysticism and all that is for. Correct. You talk a lot about how it's not a personal thing. And I think at one point you say something along the lines of heaven is not interested in our happiness. Correct. Say more about that. Well, you know, the whole purpose of your life, you weren't born to be happy. (laughs) I mean, if you want to be happy, be happy. But your journey is more about everybody was born to learn about the creative power of their soul. To learn about that and to learn that the more I create on behalf of others, the more I'm going to benefit from that creation, the more somehow other, the more seeds I sow and feed more people, the more harmony I generate. And that is going to somehow or other benefit me. I got to figure out that formula and Getting to that formula for a lot of people, they're going to have a rough runway to lift off because their runway may not be already paved. And if you have to pave your own runway, it's a rough beginning. And that is true. But the text of life is all about learning that what we give is better than what we take. And secondly, that a rising tide lifts all ships. So if we think we're in this just for ourselves, we're going to be gravely disappointed. And so if we started to say the prayer, what can I do for others? Tell me what you want. You're going to find your life directed in a very different way. Yep. That is probably the most foundational prayer I discovered in recovery and one that I keep with me close, which is just guide and direct me. Guide and direct me. Mm -hmm. What am I here to do? And when I'm oriented that way, I do a lot better than when I'm oriented towards how am I feeling right now? How are you feeling right now? And I really don't care. Get busy. (laughs) Because your feelings change moment to moment. Yep. 
They absolutely do. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I've really enjoyed having this conversation. It's already 46 minutes like that. So my app pleasure, Eric. It was, a, it was a real pleasure to meet you. Same here. Delightful. Take care. Stay healthy. Thank you. You too. If what you just heard was helpful to you, please consider making a monthly donation to support the One You Feed podcast. When you join our membership community with this monthly pledge, you get lots of exclusive members-only benefits. It's our way of saying thank you for your support. Now, we are so grateful for the members of our community. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without their support, and we don't take a single dollar for granted. To learn more, make a donation at any level, and become a member of the One You Feed community, go to oneyoufeed.net slash join. The One You Feed podcast would like to sincerely thank our sponsors for supporting the show.